Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we continue part four of our series, What to Do, What to Do in the Midst of the Crisis, both in our culture and in our church. You know, I've heard of a number of uh, different types of protests, including a kind of a clothing protest showing up in mass with a unified color, uh, others writing petitions, others doing various things. I don't think, as good as these things are, they have the power to reverse the crisis we are in. Because when you think that those in the hierarchy guilty of abuse cover-ups they really must have hardened hearts. And it's hard to get through to a hardened heart because what else would explain shepherds exposing their flocks to wolves? It would take considerable intensity to get these hirelings to open up to their extreme moral failings. But I want to switch to parents here at Faith and Family. What can you as a parent do, need to do, in an age of apostasy. Now, I need to be right up front. If you think that uh, my warning so far in parts one, two, and three, I've repeated, 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 and tried to have a wide base of support for my position, but if you think, you know, our day has nothing to do with the possibility of an age of a apostasy, an actual apostasy, a silent apostasy, as Pope Benedict XVI has called it, or I like particularly the statements of St. John Paul II while he was still a cardinal visiting the United States. He said this, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, the gospel versus the anti-gospel. Now, in addition to Pope St. John Paul II, I gave you warnings from Pope Leo XIII starting in the late 1800s, Pope Pius X, Pope Pius XII, uh, Pope Paul VI, you know, on and on. Everything I'm going to be sharing with you today is predicated that we are either in a great apostasy or times like what that great apostasy will be like. In other words, we're in a dress rehearsal for the great apostasy. In either case, our strategies, the strategies being offered here at Faith and Family, are predicated upon these warnings. And the number one thing I'm going to share with you today is something I shared with you in a recent Faith and Family series, and that is to root your children in a Christian worldview. And I said as we left the last episode, worldview begins at the beginning. Worldview begins in Genesis chapter 1. Worldview begins with a solid, and I mean a rock-solid belief in a creator. Now today, 
I want to share something with you that amongst all the blogs, all the broadcasts, all the articles that I've seen since the clerical crisis basically has exploded in our faces for the second time now, I haven't seen anyone mention the recommendation I'm going to give to you. Now, again, the recommendation I'm giving to you is predicated that we are in a type of apostasy, perhaps the great apostasy, perhaps a type of silent apostasy, as Benedict XVI warned about. In any case, we're in a deep faith crisis. In Revelation chapter 14, it describes a time before the end of human history a time when there's going to be a great falling away from the faith, where there's going to be an Antichrist that will arise. Now, an Antichrist will not come with a neon sign on his chest announcing, I'm really evil, get away from me. No, it'll probably be in a time of political, economic, and spiritual crisis. And he will have what seems to be very logical and winsome solutions to these deep problems in the world. Imagine if there's a worldwide financial crisis. Imagine if one or two nuclear bombs went off in the Middle East. Uh, imagine if these bombs going off were a result of uh, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian peoples all fighting each other, and somehow some leader comes up with a solution to bring all religions together in harmony. It would it would be great. And then, I'm saying it'd be great from the world's point of view, not from God's, but the ultimate temptation that will come, and this is what the Antichrist deception will be, is for man to take the place of God, for man to worship the self rather than God, for man himself to become an idol, a substitute for the worship of God. And you say, well, you know, the world's never going to fall for that. There are billions of dollars being spent every year through marketing to promote the self. Um, one of the favorite marketing ploys, it's all about you. It's what you want. And then if you go to public education from kindergarten through a secular university. It's what you think is right. And now, choose your own reality, even including your gender identity. This is where the world is moving towards, is a focus on self. And eventually, there will be a leader who seems to take this and something inside Every human being is a desire to worship, whether or not you're just sitting at home on Sunday mornings reading the paper instead of going to church. There is a latent desire in there. And for those who aren't worshiping the true God, the Antichrist will awaken this desire and it will result in the worship of the Antichrist, but in doing so, it will be a worship of self. Now, in the midst of all this going on, there is a three-pointed message announced from heaven with a very loud voice. 
And I've spent a lot of time over the past several years looking at these three messages in Revelation chapter 14. I'm just going to be discussing the first one with you today. And if you want to find out about the other two, just join us in our companion broadcast in Luke 21 radio, where we're going through the book of Revelation. But here it is in Revelation chapter 14. Here's the first warning. This is the warning that immediately precedes a warning on not to take the mark of the Antichrist. In other words, this is something more foundational, and it's primary in a sense you need this in order to resist going along with the worship of mankind. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. If you look in the book of Revelation, it's ultimately about the worship of the true God. And it begins with an acknowledgement that God is sovereign or king, ultimately because he's creator. He made the heaven, the earth, the sea. If you have a nickel in your pocket, the fact that nickel exists, the fact that you exist, the fact that DNA exists, or air, or water exists, is due to him. And so to fear God doesn't mean to be scared of God in the sense of reverencing him who made heaven and earth. This is the message that God announces from heaven to keep people from going down the wrong road, ultimately worshiping the self, and ultimately that worship of self leading to the worship of the Antichrist himself. This is what keeps people from going down that path. And this is what parents need to do. Parents need to do. Parents need to instill within their children a belief that God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the fountains of water. Now, let me tell you about the slippery slope, how people fall away from faith and then, in step two, fall into immorality. And it's from the last half of the first chapter of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. This is what he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Now, what truth would be suppressed that he is talking about? Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, give thanks to him, but they came, became futile in their thinking, 
and their senseless minds became darkened. Now, that's what happens when you lose sight or have a weakened sense and finally an abandoned sense of God as creator. It's there to see. Just go to a sunset, take a trip to the mountains, and if you live in the inner city, take a trip to western North Carolina or the upstate of South Carolina and just see what God has made. But here's what happens when you lose sight of God as creator. Remember, this is the loud voice from heaven right before people are going to be tempted by the Antichrist to take the mark, proclaiming man is God. How do you keep from this great inversion? Well, it begins with belief in creator. But if you don't do that, what happens next? This is Romans 1 and verse 24. Therefore, the therefore is there for this reason. Since they left God as creator, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That is the fundamental error of our day, of any day, St. Paul's day, this is the great inversion. And it goes on a little bit further because they kept it up, basically. God gives them up to dishonorable passions and women and men engaging in unnatural sexual relations. Now, an attempt on chastity education without a solid belief in the creator is an exercise in absolute futility. You're running against God. If you fail to acknowledge God as creator of all things, then you are liable to be given up to the lie, and it doesn't remain empty. The self fills it. Self-seeking pleasure, self-seeking determination, what's right and wrong, the self-even determining gender. Uh, You are basically running against God. And in our day, we are trying to promote chastity amongst young people while telling them that, well, God kind of wound it up, but Charles Darwin figured out how it really got here. And I call that the Catholic slip and slide. I bought slip and slide for my kids, you know, that yellow thing you put out in your lawn and hook it up to the hose and a slip and slide on your lawn. I even bought another one for my grandchildren. Slip and slides are great when it comes to your front lawn, but when it comes to your faith, it's completely toxic to your children. And the Catholic slip and slide is this. Since about the 1950s, Catholics have attempted to use theistic evolution. And, you know, theism is belief in God. Evolution is ultimately an atheistic religion. Theistic evolution was a good attempt in the 1950s to defend the faith until somebody could come up with something that was uh, a lot more reasonable, a lot more powerful, and a lot more convincing namely that God actually created these things, that there's an intelligent reason, there's a designer that you can see in the world, 
and you can teach this to children, you can teach this to PhD students. But theistic evolution combined with a, a uh, what shall I say, an education system within the Catholic faith that places doubt in the mosaic authorship of the first five books of the Bible, and especially Genesis, is going to erode the foundation to withstand the apostasy as we approach the end of times. Jesus himself, as recorded in John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47, said this, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do you realize that I, as I am speaking right now, the majority of Catholic seminaries are teaching their seminarians that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible, contrary to the teaching of Jesus right here in John chapter 5. How do I know that? Well, I know that the majority of Catholic seminaries have digested the poison from Protestant seminaries. I was a Protestant seminarian. I know what's going around the block. And you deny the authorship of Moses in Genesis, then kind of anything goes in Sodom and Gomorrah is a myth too. And therefore, anything goes. You know, you need to ask the question, what is causing the uh, just tragic growth of the religious nuns. Have you heard about the religious nuns? And I'm talking I'm not talking about the N U N S. I'm talking about the religious N O N E S. In other words, on the Pew surveys of religion showing that those under 35 growing numbers simply say they have no religious faith. They're religious nuns. And there's a Pew Research report just came out in 2018 about this growing group of religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and they gave them a whole list of questions as far as why they are religious nuns. And a lot of people were left with the impression, well, maybe we shouldn't take such a strong stance on social, political issues or shouldn't have a strong stance in the church against same-sex marriage and these type of things. And it seemed that there was some basis for that. But I have a very, very, very interesting article by a man by the name of J. Warner Wallace. Now, Mr. Wallace is an evangelical apologist and worldview advocate, but before he entered this realm of evangelical apologetics and worldview, guess what he did for a living? He was a cold case detective and an outstanding one. He would take, for instance, a murder, a cold case that couldn't be solved, and he would dig deeper into the evidence and find out who did it. That's what he did. He was a cold case detective, and now he's a cold case Christian apologist. He dug into this Pew research and found out that, you know, the young people answered, I don't have any religious faith, and they would pick one of these things that Pew offered them. But he says, uh uh-uh, 
there's something that's being overlooked here. Because in an earlier Pew Research study, when the religious nuns were asked to explain in their own words why they don't have religious faith, oh, something else popped up. They said they no longer believe in Christianity because they no longer believe it's true. Like learning about evolution when I went away to college or rational thought, namely how they were taught science, makes religion go out the window or the lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. So I just realized somewhere along the line that I really didn't believe it. That's from the cold case detective. You know, as a parent, it's going to take a while for the big crisis to be solved, and there's probably people a lot smarter than I am will figure out ways to do it. I'm sharing with you something that God saw important enough. He already announced, pre-announced, a threefold message that would occur before the Antichrist could lead people into deception. And that message was fearing God who made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. It's the creator. And what's causing people to fall away from the faith and correspondingly to fall into immorality, it's very simple. It's lack of belief in a creator. And you know what's very sad is that some of the best scientific research, especially in the last few decades, since we have the electron microscope, we can see inside the cell, since the discovery of DNA and what's called information theory as applied to our genetic makeup, the idea of evolution or even theistic evolution is, well, it's out the window. But unfortunately, young people aren't getting it. So we've put together here a resource for teaching worldview, and particularly worldview begins at the beginning. It begins just where the Bible begins, with a belief in the Creator, just where our creed begins, with a belief in the Creator. And we have some resources, for instance, I was recently in Texas, and a woman came up to me, faithful Catholic, whose son was obviously very bright. He just earned a scholarship to earn a doctorate. I forgot it was either at Cambridge or Oxford in England. So obviously he was doing well with his intellect, but he was um, basically abandoning the faith because of a lack of belief in the Creator. And I said to her, just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com. We have resources that will just serve very well a PhD candidate in Oxford or Cambridge or a college student at your state university. And I even have a resource in there for parents of a four or a five-year-old on how to teach intelligent design because actually it's rather easy to teach intelligent design, especially if you take your children outside, get their eyes away from the smartphone for a few minutes and a computer screen and get them out in God's creation and better yet, take them some wonderful places in God's creation. They will instinctively gain 
a belief, just like St. Paul said, it has to be actively suppressed. This isn't something that occurs naturally. So what you want to do is encourage this natural occurrence. So if you want that worldview resource, you can simply send an email to askthehost at gmail.com, and we have uh, suggestions for four- to five-year-olds. Uh, there's a free PDF handout, how, to, how Parents Can Teach Intelligent Design to Their Children. Uh, we have things for high school students. We have things for college students. And we have things for those who are in very advanced studies. And all recommended resources, all faith-building resources, including one particular DVD series for, I would say, older high school students and maybe young uh, college students, and particularly maybe for the summer between high school and college, that are just incredibly faith-building. But I kind of go back here where we were. You know, writing a petition, uh, and I'm not knocking writing petitions, but I mean, it might make you feel good. But if you're a parent, you need to do something that's going to strengthen the faith of your children during this crisis. And it's a dual crisis. It's a crisis in our culture, and it's a crisis in our church. And the answer to the crisis isn't writing a petition. It's strengthening the faith to your children. And in the meantime, uh, you know, when our Catholic seminaries, the majority of them, the significant majority of them, are telling our future priests that Moses didn't write Genesis, and so it has no unique divine authority, uh, you know, you just go downstream, what's the catechetical materials telling our young people? This is where faith begins. This is where the attack is occurring. This is where the hemorrhage is occurring. It's right over this issue. It took a cold case detective to find out what really is causing the death of faith. And it's you, mom and dad, are fully capable of stopping this hemorrhage. Uh, Yeah, it might take a while to get the um, Dawson religious expert to change from theistic evolution to intelligent design, but you can begin tonight. Again, a uh, free resource. It's worth a million bucks. Simply send an email to askthehost at gmail.com. Give us that worldview resource handout, particularly for those things relating to God as creator, and we'll be very happy to send that to you. Remember, as John Paul II said, while a cardinal, we're standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation that humanity has gone through. We are now facing the final confrontation. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 211 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.